So the big question is this, how are real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time, don't have access to off-market deals, and didn't start life on third base, how do we grow a real estate business conservatively to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race and build a legacy? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is Real Estate Underground. This is the Real Estate Underground podcast show, number 11. Hey, everybody, Ed Matthews here with the Real Estate Underground. We are very excited to have Mark Gu with us, and Mark has joined me at Clark Street Worldwide Headquarters. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. What yeah. a great place. I love it already. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome anytime. Obviously, we are joined by my friend, compatriot, and personal Yoda, Mr. Richard Brown. How are you, sir? The mobile man is at it again. I'm a little jealous that you guys are sitting in the worldwide headquarters and I'm on the streets. Well, hey, the door's open, buddy. You can come anytime you want. <laughs> so how are you guys doing today? Mark, how you doing? Glad to be talking to you. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to chat with you again, Rich. You know, always a pleasure. So I will tell you that, Mark, I'm so excited. We've watched you do so many great things. Today, I think our listening audience is going to be in for a real treat, having you live, well, not live, but on the podcast, talking about some of your experiences. And I'm going to ask you really tough questions. This is going to be like 60 minutes interview, nothing but the hard hitting questions. That's it. The first question I have for you is tell us, <laughs> tell us how you got started in this whole real estate thing. Well, I ended up getting started in real estate in 2015. Before that, I actually ran restaurants in some very difficult neighborhoods. I ran Burger Kings and ultimately got promoted at the age of 19 years old to be a restaurant manager. So I worked for about nine months as an assistant before I got promoted to be a restaurant manager in some very tough restaurants and some challenging circumstances and ultimately made it work. And it was a great career for me. My personality, I think, was great for the neighborhood. They didn't have anybody quite like me in quite some time. And they needed my unconventional approaches to manage Je ne sais quoi, right? Yeah, there you go. Je ne sais quoi, there you go. There you go. So in the world of the restaurant business, or in a lot of businesses, you've got a lot of false hope. You got the fake promises. You got the long hours leaving at two or three in the morning, depending on which business it is. Right. And you know what? I'm not knocking it in any way. I did very well. I left in 2007. I actually left making $70,000 as a base income back in 2007. People aren't even making that right now right. in a lot of the restaurants. And ultimately I worked for franchise and then they got bought out by the corporation when I worked for the franchise, there was a gentleman from Huntington, Connecticut that came out and I had 11 restaurants at the time and pretty much said, we're going to give you guys total creative control of your restaurants on a marketing level. And you guys could make up to 10% of the incremental income. So I always got my wheels turning. I'm doing the math in my head and I'm like, wow. The little bonuses could turn into big bonuses yeah. like really quick. Quickly. And I'm always a guy that takes ownership for everything that I do. I'm always working hard, starting early, finishing late. And as one of my bosses always used to tell me, he's like, you know, Mark, I never have to worry about you. You take total ownership of your business. 
I like usually either starting my day at your restaurants or I like finishing my day at your restaurants because I want to start in a good mood or I want to go home in a good mood because at the time he had seven restaurants of the 11. Yeah. There might've been two top-notch performers that were doing great. You might have three or four middle of the road. You'll have one or two on the bottom yeah. that are your nightmare operations, maybe not very engaged store managers. Right. And so a lot of management from him to the restaurants to get them to perform. Right. I was one of those guys that they didn't have to bother me. I knew my job. They offered me the district manager's job many times over. And because I was already capped out at my salary the district manager was only making probably 10 grand more than i was after taxes that's five five thousand so for a hundred dollars a week i don't need you to go from one restaurant to seven or eight right you know headaches i already was working too much already i didn't need to add two hours to my schedule right and i didn't want to do it anymore i got burnt out with the restaurant business you could only dangle the carrot so many times and make everything look good, sound good. Again, false hope, fake promises. And for me, there were no more promises because I already turned down the job that they were offering me. I was already making the highest salary in the company, which I enjoyed. And that's not bragging, that's just being proud of my achievements. When I actually did leave one time for six months, uh, because I just, you know, they hired people back that I actually terminated because they were always short on staff or management. They hired someone back and they just figured, all right, we could solve the problem by putting that person in another restaurant. I'm like, no, if I fire them, they're gone. They're gone in the whole company. They're just not gone for me. So they brought someone back. I left. They ended up calling me on the phone with a big, huge offer to return with a big, sizable pay increase. And, you know, during that six months, I was actually gone. They actually had two more store managers in that store that could not get it to perform. And that was one that was in the New Haven area. In the five years they were open, they had seven restaurant managers. And then when I got there, I was there 14 years in a row. Wow. They would not move me. Yeah. And before that, I was in a tough restaurant on Whaley Avenue, New Haven. Very tough area. Five years and I produced a lot of great managers for the company as well. And for me, I took an interest in a lot of the people that have had some tough times in life, was always there as an inspiration to show them, look, don't believe what everybody tells you. You can make this happen. You can make some good money out there. Turn off the news. You sure. can look around right. you right now in my restaurant. It was an all black restaurant. I was the only white manager at both of the restaurants. And so people aren't really believing what you're putting down sometimes. So you got to show them. Right. So when I showed them and I said, Hey, look around, all my managers are black. They're Latino. There's no other white managers. Right. There's no white employees. Right. This is what it is. Yeah. You should really appreciate how things are clicking. You've seen past managers. You can see what I've done since I've gotten here. I want people to get a better life, a better yeah. living. And that's the thing, right? You get employees and you teach them how to be managers and then they grow. That elevates the business, right? The rising tide floats all boats. And then the folks that are coming in see what's possible and then they engage, right? Right. That's really interesting. So 2015, you decide to leave or to get into the real estate world. Why real estate? Well, you know, I was tired of the false promises. 
Welcome yeah. to corporate America. Welcome to corporate America. I know they got to make everything sound good, right. but there's a reason why they're always hiring forever and ever and ever, right. but they're dangling the carrot. We got this great job. I know I take ownership with everything. I work hard and I'm tired of putting some big checks in other people's pockets when I'm coming early, staying late. And I decided that, you know what, you read about it on the news, you see it in all the papers, the tabloids, nine out of 10 millionaires are coming from the real estate industry. So for me, what better world to apply my trade? I didn't know real estate yet, but I knew about hiring. I knew about firing. I knew about management. I knew about numbers, profit and loss statements, spreadsheets, and so it was a perfect fit for me. And I'm not always good listening to someone in the Oval Office at the top headquarters who's clueless a day late and a dollar short. And I'm probably a little bit of a rebel, you could say. Some people that know me pretty well <laughs> could say I'm not politically correct. I'm pretty straight shooter. It's part of your charm. Part of my charm. Half the people <laughs> love me, maybe half the people. Well, they learn to love me. Maybe not. So somebody once said something about me. It's like, not everybody's going to get them. But the right people get them, and that's all that matters, right? Exactly. So, and it's all that matters. Absolutely. All that matters. So you get into real estate in 2015, yep. and now what asset class were you focused on? What types of projects were you taking on? Well, I initially started because, you know, I first started with actually CT Rea in a coaching program, okay, which was very, very beneficial to me because before you guys actually purchased it, you know, Joanne, Lou, Linda, sure. around. And one thing they always said stuck out to me and it's just, it holds so true. You could spend the money on coaching now and learn it the right way, or you could lose that money on your very first deal. Yeah. Okay. So for me, I actually showed up on the fourth week at the training class because I didn't have all my money right just yet. Yep. But then when I had my money right, I showed up on the fourth class and they introduced me. Everybody says hello. I meet everybody. And what do you know, by the very next class, I was the very first person in that class to actually have my very first deal. Uh-huh. So they're like, no way. This guy just came in and he's already got his deal. Lou, that was with CT Rio, would always joke around, you know, I never thought you'd be successful. And, you know, he was very honest about it and said, you know, I really didn't think this was for you. And I always thought, well, maybe you got to be a better judge of character. Right. Okay. And I love Lou. I'm not growing to dig his way, but I was kind of like, you know what? I've got good management experience. Maybe they just thought I was a nut. Or it was just a big transition from the restaurant business. Sure. So I was. And he always said that as a positive, not as a dick. Because a lot of people see slides, uh, YouTube videos, everybody showing off a big check. And they really can't believe it's really real until they actually see it. Because some of your wholesale deals may be a big check. Some of them may be small and it might be 4,500 bucks. And the other part of it is, and it's interesting you say that, it's okay, fine. As a cynic, you believe that the one hit wonder is possible, but what you've done is different, right? What you've done is you've built a business, consistent revenue, consistent growth over the last, what, six, seven years now. Yeah. So tell us about that. Well, I actually quit the job, my job, cold turkey. You know, so I transitioned transitioned from a $70,000 guaranteed job, my weekly paychecks, and they were always nice. And, you know, when I actually left the restaurant business, when they had that incentive from the franchisee about that, you can make 10% of your incremental sales. The first year I ended up making 13,000 
$600 for a bonus. So add that on top of what I was already making. And why would you leave that type of salary? But the hours were long and hard and you're tired and it's 12 hour days. You're earning that money. Every penny. I'm earning every penny. Right. So then I was the only one in the company that made that bonus. So ironically, wouldn't you know, they actually cut the bonus for the next year, even though I was the only guy that made it. They're not paying them a lot of bonus money. Right. So now the maximum payout was like 10,200. They capped it off. Yeah. And I maxed it out again. So not only did I match my sales on the first year, which would be difficult, but I matched it and then I exceeded it by another $130,000 additionally. And I got a $10,200 check from that. But then they ended up capping it off at $900 for a quarter. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're cutting a potential $10,000 right. from so, me on a yearly basis. I don't need this anymore. I'm so done. they're winning and you're no longer winning. Right. right. So that made it pretty easy. Well, relatively speaking, I right. guess. True. I mean, it's a nice job you're walking away from, but oh, yeah. you're jumping head first clearly into real estate. You yeah. buy your first property week one into a 12 week course. Correct. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so, so Mark, tell us a little that. bit about that first deal. What made you actually pull the trigger? Well, you know what? It really wasn't that appealing to be quite honest with you, but I saw potential and I saw money that could be made. And when I initially did the comps on the property, it was uh, 1584. I remember it very well. And they listed it on Craigslist. It was actually a HUD property and uh, they had listed it for 79999 So call it $80,000. So I call up and a gentleman answers the phone and he's actually teaching his daughter how to do real estate. He's actually a real estate broker at the same time. Very knowledgeable guy, the numbers, mortgage broker as well, was doing some flips, really knew what he was talking about. And he figured, let me throw that out there. Long story short, the daughter is in college. She answered my call and she's like, I'll give you the code. Uh, it's one, two, three, four. Ironically, I went in there. I looked at the house. High tech. The house was vacant. High security. House was vacant for over six years. A lot of water damage in the basement, cracked pipes. Yeah. It needed everything. Retaining wall that was falling down that you had to fix. Yeah. Didn't have a driveway. Needed a roof. Asbestos tiles in the kitchen. Total gut job, really, right. on the house. Right. So I ended up looking at my rehab and said, you know what? The rehab was going to be 55000 Yeah. And we were going to be pretty close to target. But I had an illegal sun porch on the property on the far left corner. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I was going to add above that to the house to make two bedrooms bigger, blow out the wall and then move one of the other walls, which was going to end up elevating the ARV of the property, forced ARV as they call it. And so I'm creating a driveway by fixing the retaining wall. And I made it a smaller retaining wall, which now allowed for a driveway, yeah. a brand new roof, brand new siding, brand new kitchen cabinets, knocked down a wall on the inside, opened it up to the dining area and just turned it out to be a great house. So uh, a couple colleagues that love doing numbers as well. One coach said to me, I don't think that's going to really sell for what you think it's going to just be careful what your numbers. And they said, just play it really tight. You know, you're going to make some money, but maybe not what you think. So I said, well, you know what? They thought I was going to sell in the low 140s. I said, I really respect you, but I respectfully disagree. So I'm very much a guy that sticks to his guns. And I said, I believe it's going to sell 179 to 185. So CT Rio was doing an expo that particular weekend. And uh, someone comes up to me and they're like, oh, I hear you just listed your property. 
And I'm like, yes, I did. They're like, it's done. That looks great. What did you listen for? I said 224.9. And everybody was like, everybody was taking a dump right there. Like, no way. You, you are never going to get that. You're kidding me. 224.9. What are you doing? That's going to sit there forever. So little do you know, it was a little tough time to sell as well because it was winter and the whole nine. But I ended up getting a contract on it for 214.9. So I exceeded my expectations. I ended up making 41,512. So 41,0 wow. on my first deal, which was a flip. Didn't do any wholesaling. Very much managed it myself, but I did have some help as well from the coaches. Yep. And that was a great winner for me. So I just kept it going from there. And everybody was like, no way, that's crazy. Yeah. So Rich, did you make 40 grand on your first flip? I did not make 40 grand on my first yeah. flip. Let me just tell you, I made $200 on my first flip. I made about four After grand nine months. Years. Yeah. Well, you guys know as well as we do, we're in the real estate business and we're risk takers and we look at it. We think it's going to end up being this and it end up becoming that. And right. that could be a good thing, sometimes a bad thing. Yeah. I think we all do our due diligence yeah. very much. Absolutely. And you have to. So I always do the ARV on the low side. I always do the repair of estimates on the high side. Right. Make sure you're doing your numbers properly. Right. And that's pretty much where the rubber meets the road. You're going to make some damn good money. Yeah. But here's well, well, Mark, Ed, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just have to tell you a funny story. Yeah, fire away. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think that Mark just said he went through the CT Rio program. I was a member of CT Rio when I did my first flip, but I did not do coaching. Right. That could explain why I only made 200 bucks. Same here, right? And Mark was saying how, I think it was Linda that said, you can either pay for coaching or you can pay for it in losses in your first project. I chose the latter and decided to do a whole <laughs> bunch of dumb stuff and not make anywhere near as much as I probably should have on that first property. Sure. Remember it well, yeah. 74 yeah. Reservoir Road in Newington. I drive by it every once in a while to kind of keep me focused on paying attention to numbers like you were saying. Nice. Yeah, I remember it. it was 32 Florence Avenue. Just drove by it the other day because yep. I do a lot in West Haven. Yeah. I like West Haven. Uh, I love Ansonia. Yeah. And I got a, a lot of areas that I do like. Typically, yep. I stay within 30, 35 minutes from my home. Yeah. So you're a go-getter, obviously. I mean, we've known each other for a while now, and, and I have a massive amount of respect for you and how you operate. So let me ask you, I mean, what separates the people that kind of dream about this and think and analyze to death and paralyze themselves with analysis, you know, analysis paralysis, yep, totally. and the ones that actually get it done, people like you? I mean, what separates you from those dreamers? Well, I just think you got to have that burning desire in your belly to succeed. And if you're me and you're leaving a job guaranteed $70,000 and you're turning down promotions, you may not make $70,000 your first year in the real estate business. So for me, failure was not an option. Everybody says that, but it could never be true. Turns out you have to eat. You need a place to live, right? Yes, true. Right. Exactly. So for me, I had no room to fail. I had to succeed. And, you know, when you're first learning, obviously it's a little train that could. You're not banging them out as fast as you want. Right. You're taking on some aggressive, ugly projects. You're scratching your head saying, why did I get into this? I don't really do that. I know what I get myself into. Yeah. I pick some of the uglier properties that you can imagine. And that's why I actually get a lot of deals because a lot of people don't want to put in the work. Right. And I think just even the learning aspect is putting in the work as well. 
So I pick the ugly properties and I'm putting into work and making sure those numbers are right where they need to be. Yeah. Okay. And a little room for trial and error as well. And as well as the knowledge, when I first started out, I started with CT Rhea and got some great knowledge from Linda, Joanne, Lou, when you guys picked them up and took over the torch, the mantle, you guys carried on that same tradition. People don't like change. And everybody's like, oh, God, what's the new regime going to be like? Well, you guys are awesome, just like they were awesome. I got to say, you you know, then in this real estate world, you could have 40 people in a classroom and everybody's like, you'll Google, let's just say Robin Thompson's name or C.J. Rhea's name. And all of a sudden something pops up that says scam alert. And, you know, do you want to buy that course? I didn't make any money and I got educated. Well, you know what? That separates uh, the men and women from the kids that are not putting their best foot forward. You know, I read this study and, and I was blown away by it that Dean Graciosis and Tony Robbins and all these people who do all these online trainings, they say that 90 something like 94% of the people that buy those trainings never even crack the book, which is amazing to me. And the ones that do almost half of those folks don't do anything either. They go through the course, they spend the time, they spend the money, and then something happens. And I think most of the time it's fear and that's perfectly normal, right? But the fact is, is that they don't act. Right. And I don't understand that. Buying investment real estate is both thrilling and sometimes stressful. Without a lending expert by your side, most investors don't stand a chance. That's where CTRIA funding comes in. CTRIA funding was founded by investors to help investors just like you fund their deals. Whether you're buying a single family rehab, an apartment building, or really any investment property, our team will understand your deal and help you close quickly. Go to CTREIAfunding.com or call us at 860-876-0572. And it's kind of weird because, you know, I always go to the meetings monthly. Do I need to? No, but I'm a networking guy. I'm already doing plenty of stuff, but I always look at it as a missed opportunity if you don't go. Yeah. So, you know, like in a restaurant business, to me, there was always your X amount of steps to great customer service. I always had a step zero and step zero was always be there. Be there first and front and center, first row, second row. Don't be hanging out in the back. Be focused, be mindful, learn from the people that are up on stage. And it's kind of funny because a lot of people come up to me in a lot of the meetings and I love chatting with anybody and everybody. And I'm just a chatty guy and I love chatting with good people, sharing ideas. And one guy always comes up to me. We won't mention names, but he's always like, hey, Mark, you think I should buy this course? And I said, hey, this is nothing against the speaker, nothing against the trainer. I think the material is really, really great. But I'll be honest with you, you've been in this now for four or five years and you've got the shiny nickel syndrome. You need to stop Mm -hmm. buying courses and you need to start buying a house. Right. I said, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, if you're not going to do that, then you know what? You got capital. You're ready to move forward. Then, you know, be a private lender for someone. Right. Get out of the way. Make your money while you're there. That's such a good point. So it's ironic that the person actually became a private lender for me. (laughs) And I wasn't really shifting him in that direction, but just giving him a tip. I said, you know what? I'd be glad to help you. Anything you need. I want to see you buy houses. And he's just got that mild, meek personality. He's not going to grab the bull by the horns, perhaps. And I'm like, look, maybe I'm brutal. Maybe I'm very smash mouth in your face, very blunt, very direct. 
I kind of think I'm a nice guy. You are, <laughs> but but you are blunt. But I am blunt. I'm very straightforward, and I deal best with those type of people as well. Yeah. But I deal with everybody on a professional level. I think you got to know who you're working with. Yep. And I've done so many deals with people in that room, whether it's private lenders, whether it's wholesale deals, going right. to a class with someone for another education, sure. maybe out of state somewhere. So, Mark, you're telling us a lot of that networking is important, all of that. Are you concerned at all? Like, how are you getting leads in today's market? Because one of the things people come to me all the time and say is, there are no deals out there. I can't find any deals. And I know little birdie told me you have a property coming to market pretty soon. Actually, it just, <laughs> it's funny that you say that it just hit the market yesterday. And so nice. 93 high street, love the house. And I am always getting deals. Okay. There's deals out there. And not only that, but deals are made, you name it. I've uh, probably done it. Okay. Whether it be subject to, whether it be probate deals, whether it be tax liens, Okay, whether it be blight liens, wholesale deals, regular MLS, get a lot of stuff from the MLS. And I'm able to close quickly because of those private lenders, yep. because some of the main institutions may not lend as much as I would like. Yep. And as they always say, use other people's money. Right. Okay. Not that there's a, a shortage of money, but we're all doing sometimes several deals at the same time. Two deals, three deals, four deals. A lot of my deals are over $100,000 on clips. I'm always doing very ugly, aggressive projects that most are walking away from. Right. So for me, I always make deals. I make it happen. I looked at two properties today before I actually met up with Ed and we're doing a training. And I'm actually jumping in my car and going to a training tomorrow in another state. So there's things to be made and you just got to show up. Good deals are created. Not Good that. deals are created. Good relationships are created. Yep. So when you're creating deals and like you and I are very similar in this respect in that, you know, I tell the folks that are bird dogging for me and the realtors that I work with, I want caved in roofs. I want no copper in the building. I want dead bodies in the basement. I want mold. I want as bad as you can find them. A, because my guys know how to do that. Yep. And Correct. also the fact is, is that like you were saying, it scares off 90% of the competition more probably. Yep. Right. So what are you looking for? A lot of the list that you just said is exactly what I do. Yeah. But again, it's that courage. It's the no fear, okay? Getting out there and doing it. When I started my career in the restaurant business, not only did I do the restaurant business, okay? But as I was working 70 hours a week, I became a professional wrestler, okay? So- I was, was hoping you'd get to this. I, <laughs> I Exactly. I always wanted to make it big time. I love to wait, 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 wait. What's most important is you have to tell us your stage name. Oh God. Are you kidding me? Yes. Fire away. <laughs> Noodles Nixon. So back in my day, when I was a professional wrestler, 1996 to 2001, I ended up stopping because someone ended up hitting me in the rear end of my car. The attorney said, hey, you got to sit it out for a year. I know your neck is stiff. I know your body's sore. We got to let you heal up. But we can't be seeing drop kicks off the top rope, you know, across the ring. We can't see elbow drops 15 feet to the concrete floor. Okay, so maybe I must have hit my head one time too many, and that's <laughs> why I wound up like this. But I always believe everything happens for a reason, and everything creates an opportunity. So I wrestled for five and a half years, and not only that, but that created an opportunity where I was the bombastic, loudmouth, heel 
professional wrestler that everybody would love to hate. So pissing off people is kind of a forte. And it's I a superpower. I, I got good at it. <laughs> so I warm over those buyers. But, I, you know, when I was in the wrestling ring, it was all about getting a reaction out of the crowd, whether it's positive or it's negative. You just got to know how to get a reaction. Right. And I had a lot of big time wrestlers come up to me at the end and we're in the locker room. You know, there's a heel locker room. There's a good guy, baby face locker room, as they call it. And people would come up to me and they're like, dude, you got to save the show. This crowd has never seen wrestling and they don't know how to react to anything. I said, oh, you wait. I got something special for these hicks. Okay. <laughs> and you just got to go out there and get them upset. So I've been in a locker room with a lot of big names and taking on a lot of big names. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about getting that reaction, getting noticed, stealing the show, stealing the show. So if you're giving a presentation, you want to steal the show. Yep. Okay. If you're in the wrestling ring and you're putting on a great match, you're there to entertain, have a good match. And trust me, a lot of opponents didn't love me. I didn't necessarily love them and I didn't care. And I'm here to make money and I'm here to make it to the big time. I need Vince McMahon to call my phone. Right. I need to be on pay-per-view. Okay. Which obviously was kind of funny because as I was wrestling for five and a half years, I ended up auditioning for the WWE Tough Enough show uh, for the very first year. Okay, and I had to send in a videotape because that's how they were actually picking the people. You had to make a videotape and you had to cut promos, have someone do the camcordering. And so I ended up having one of my employees stay till like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning after we closed and cleaned up. And I just started beating a snot out of one of my employees <laughs> and a manager and body slamming people on prep tables and giving people sharpshooters up on a prep table five feet in the air. And people are like, what is this guy doing? So it was all about the rebellious employee talking back to the manager. And he said the wrong word one time too often. So then I popped him in the face. <laughs> and, you know, as Mike Tyson used to say, everybody's got a great idea until they get punched in the face. Right. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, and I think he ended up having a newfound respect for me because I wasn't taking his crap. So wouldn't you know, running Burger Kings, um, now doing the professional wrestling for five and a half years, trying to entertain those audiences. And everybody would always tell me, dude, you stole the show. You were awesome. And then I'm auditioning for WWE's Tough Enough. And so here I'm still working a restaurant business, working long hours, going to the gym. And what happens now? I get home and my phone rings and I get a phone call now from the producer of Jerry Springer. <laughs> Would you mm. not believe that? So wow. I get home one day, 9.45 p.m. at night. Some guy calls me up on the phone. Hey, is this noodles? And I'm like, yeah, who the hell is this? And he's like, well, this is Toby from Jerry Springer. We heard you're sick. We heard you're nuts. We heard you got a problem with your longtime girlfriend. And we want you on our show. I'm like, what? Who again is this? And so, you know, they're telling me they want me on the show, national television, Chicago, Illinois, bright lights in front of America. I'm like, how long am I going to be on your show? They're like seven minutes. I'm like, I'm not coming to Chicago for seven minutes. I said, I could hold your show down for a half an hour, 45 minutes. Give me something. The guy's like, all right, you got two segments. And if your segment's not entertaining, Jerry's going to do a little thinger and then we're wrapping it up. So... I'm up on stage, you know, with the girlfriend. She's cheating on me. I'm flipping the script. 
And I'm now fighting on stage with Jerry's uh, security at the time, Steve Wilkos. Yeah. He's got it. I'm telling him, I'll beat your ass. Oops, excuse me. I'll beat it right now, right up on stage. And I'll do it. I don't care if you're Chicago cop, Steve. I got news for you. Okay, I'm a championship wrestler up in the Northeast. You are nothing. I will break you. Okay, so let me tell you, pal. You bring it up here right now, Steve Wilkos. So Wilkos okay. is not a small man. No, he's a big guy. Okay, and none of this stuff is rehearsed or any of that stuff. I never met the guy. And all of a sudden, I think now as I am on television with my story, funny story is related to this. I went to the Big E, which is a big exposition fair up here in the Massachusetts area. And here I am, a manager of Burger King. And, you know, you go up there and you eat good and you buy some things and a leather jacket or whatever. But over there on the corner, out of the corner of my eye, I see a bunch of boxers. And they had a humorous pair of boxers that said, Home of the Whopper. And it said Burger King on the boxers. I bought it just for a gag gift. Never knew what I was going to do with it. And actually, as I'm on Jerry Springer, for whatever reason, I decided to bring it with me. I ripped my clothes off on stage. I let America know that I'm a little sick. You know what? And I'm mooning the crowd, dropping my drawers for all of America. <laughs> I want to be a memorable, okay? Dropping my drawers, mooning the crowd. My private parts on the front of my boxers pops out. The DG is now getting digitized. <laughs> and... It all ended beautifully. Oh, <laughs> so then, so, so I've just learned something, Mark. Yeah, I think we all have. Reason why you get such good deals because you're wearing home of the Whopper underwear and, and you're not afraid to moon the realtors who don't give you good deals. That's it. That's exactly how it is. <laughs> I don't care. That's a new one. If it's got mold, it's got water problem. You're talking about the house. Right, exactly. Okay. <laughs> you guys are crazy. I believe this is a children's show. <laughs> uh, we got to keep it clean for the viewing public That's okay. here. But, That's uh, right. but yeah, so I believe every appearance you're at, show up be different and I'm out there in my own little world sometimes. So I entertain myself. Hopefully people can learn something from hey man, me. It's not well. fun why I do it, right? Exactly. I have fun every single day. Yeah. Every day. Clearly. And you gotta make this fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean part of this is is a little bit of drudgery, right? I mean you've got to fight your way through a whole bunch of stuff. Financing, finding deals, working with contractors who aren't doing what they said they would do, working with lenders who are too slow for the deal velocity that you need. There's any number of problems you've got to persevere through. Right. Might as well have fun doing it. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I just try to have fun with anything and everything. So as I always tell my attorney, when I walk in the office, I'm like, you know what? Your favorite client is here today. And then he brings his staff in and he wants me to tell the Jerry Springer story. And everybody's running out of the room for fear of what might happen. Yeah. So it's funny. I have a similar move when I walk into a house that's an open house. And uh, I know there's a bunch of investors in there. I'll start at the top of my lungs. Like, why are all these people in my house? And then I'll start <laughs> talking to individual people. And I'm hoping that they just don't want to deal with the crazy guy and they go home. But, <laughs> but yeah, I've done that more than once and it's worked more times than. Oh, wow. Right. Um, well, you know, wow. it's a weird thing because as far as my family and stuff like that, my mother's the sweetest lady in the world, very mild mannered, very meek. She was always turning her head really fast when I'm in a wrestling ring. And she didn't want to see me getting body slammed or yeah. doing anything. She was what mother would, right? My father, on the other hand, 
great guy. I uh, love my mother to death. She's a sweetheart. My father was a big cheerleader for me in the wrestling ring, and he's up there. Some guy actually would tell him, yeah, my son is this one, and my father's like, well, my son is Noodles Nixon, and he happens to be fighting your son tonight, and he's going to kick your son's ass. Okay, so blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, I was ready to start fighting people in the arenas. And little did he know that that's was a, my opponent's father. That's a I'm, good dad. That's great. Wow. That's great. Wow. It's too funny. So, Mark, we're coming to an end. What advice would you give newbie investors who want to get started right now? They've listened to this podcast. Maybe they will or will not wrestle. <laughs> Maybe they will or will not end up on Jerry Springer, but they definitely want to get into real estate. What would you tell them to do right now? What One thing. Well, what I would tell them right now is decide what you want to do in life. If you're tired of your job and it's diminishing returns, then I think we always scratch our head and say, you know, how much longer can I do this? And for me, I'm a guy that just doesn't take a lot of crap bosses, what have you. And I'm like, you know, I'm tired of making everybody else this money. This money should be mine. I'm working countless hours. I want to create a legacy for me, for my family. And then I can show them some checks that you can make in real estate. My last deal, a matter of fact, I made $175,000 on my last deal. And it's not a bad payday. That's That's pretty good work if you can get it. Exactly. (laughs) And you're buying it at the right price. If it needs a lot of work, it needs a lot of work. The neighborhood could take a turn for the better all of a sudden. And this particular house that I did, it needed a lot of work. At the same time, they were just starting construction on seven six plexes right down the street, a block and a half away. COVID was driving the New York buyers to Connecticut, okay, because of the mandates and closing things down. And a lot of people were coming to Connecticut because they just couldn't deal with the shutdowns. Yeah, still are. And again, still happens now to this day. So I'm getting a lot of people coming from New York. They uh, can't get much for their money out there, so they're coming to Connecticut. The house that I just listed yesterday, a matter of fact, Three plus bedrooms. The downstairs, you could actually make it a bedroom if you wanted. Two points of egress. Mm-hmm. Huge room. Uh, there's its own private bathroom right down here as well. So you could call it four bedrooms if you want. Two full baths. Four garages. Two are detached. Two attached to the house. Yeah. So I always call it a contractor's dream. They will buy this house in a minute. You could have a workshop. You could have room for your storage. Yeah. You got room for everything. The house has got so much room. Yeah. So the big checks is why I wanted to get involved and being my own boss. You want to have some freedom. You want to create freedom for you, for your family. You don't have to answer that call and work for a boss. And that was always one of the things I always always say one of my bosses at Burger King when he would be like, Mark, you know, you really I'm like, look, you've got two kids, you've got the big mortgage payment, okay? You've got a wife, you got this big house, and my expenses were really, really low. So I always kept things real simple. As they say, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Absolutely. Okay. I always kept things really simple. I didn't overspend. I would put the money in the bank. And with real estate, you know, it's about managing those deals properly. So I got my training at CT Rhea. Learned a lot from the great folks, the past and present. But I also considered Robin Thompson, who really taught me a lot in the business as well. So I always considered CT Rhea and Robin Thompson in no particular order, 1A and 1B. I learned a lot as well from great people in the marketing industry, Damon Remy at REI Black Book. Yeah. Okay. Larry Harbaugh out of Florida, a great, brilliant mind with 
creative financing strategies. Mm-hmm. So many great people. Chuck Beyer, one of Robin's mentors sure, back yeah. in the day. There's a lot of great people that you could do things with. Alan Cowgill. There's so many great people you could learn things from. Spend a lot of money on knowledge, coaching, but you know what? It's all coming full circle. So as I tell people out there, don't suffer from the shiny nickel syndrome and buy every course. A lot of them got great content, a lot of great material, but if you're never going to buy a house, then you need to get out of your own way fast enough and start buying houses. Yes. Couldn't agree more. So Mark, we've covered a lot of ground today and thank you very much for your time. I'm curious, when you're not doing real estate and you're not doing a DDT on some poor, unfortunate former employee, (laughs) what what do you like to do outside of real estate? Well, I'm still very much in a professional wrestling. I go to a lot of shows now as a fan. Sometimes I'll jump the guardrail, but maybe not. Big time into MMA, mixed martial arts, UFC, pay-per-views, watch every show. I love to travel if I could have time. And I got to make more time because I'm not doing enough time of doing traveling. Going to some trainings, if you will. I enjoy business trips as well. Going to a business trip starting tomorrow. Spoke about that. But again, more knowledge. Another feather on your cap, as they say. Learn what you could learn when you could learn. Yep. You know, some of the mentors out there and the trainers aren't necessarily 40 and 50, and some of them get a little older and they've been training and teaching for 30 years. And you got to say to yourself, I need to go see this person before right. they retire, before their time is up. Right. I want to end up being a mentor. I want to have my own course. I want to be coaching people. I meet a lot of people now. A lot of people want to pick my brain. I'm always honored when that happens because I'm not necessarily even where I want to be right now. And you always got to say, like, really where I want to be? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Sure. Uh, But you always want to do better. You could always do more. Well, and that's the thing. Uh, I've always read, and I think it's a Tony Robbins axiom, is that the next level of growth is contribution, right? Helping pay forward all the things that you've learned from your own experiences. And so that's the next level of growth for a lot of people, especially people in your situation. Yeah. Well, you know what? I have a book out already, How to Sell Houses Fast in Connecticut. That's a feather in my cap. I've also done some speaking engagements. I spoke at Harvard University. I've spoken at West Point. And those are big feathers in my cap. Also spoke at Carnegie Hall in front of some big names, big name celebrities. I've spoken for Buzz Aldrin, General Honoré, that was in control of Katrina when Katrina hit Louisiana. General Honoré, Russell Honoré, great guy. Again, Buzz Aldrin, the most interesting man in the world is his moniker, Jonathan Goldsmith. Oh, the guy from the beer commercial? Those Eckies commercial. I've been in the same room with him, spoken in front of him. Is he actually the most uh, interesting man in the world? He is a very interesting man. Very interesting man. What a great guy. Yeah. So, Mark, thank you again. This has been a tremendous experience. I'm going to go catch my breath. But um, in the meantime, if people want to get a hold of you, social media or elsewhere, what's the best way to do that? I've got several emails, as we all do in business, but I'll keep it simple. Mark Goo, G-O-U-X, so M-A-R-K-G-O-U-X at gmail.com. And my phone number is 203-464-3682. I love meeting people. That's me. I'll travel wherever. We can meet halfway. A lot of people I always meet, we always call each other up. Let's grab a dinner. I want to pick your brain. I want to pick your brain. And I've met a lot of people from CT Rhea, grabbed dinner, met some great folks. I enjoy doing that because it kind of breaks up the monotony a little bit too. And it gives you a fresh, like, wow, you know what? I didn't think of that. I can do that too. 
And on top of that, it's also, wow, I used to do that and I got away from it for some reason. I really should get back to doing whatever that is, right? Right. And that's weird because I don't even do any marketing, quite honestly. I used to do a lot of marketing back in the day. And then it just became so busy and I'd rather reward someone that's doing wholesaling. If the numbers work for me and the numbers work for him or it's negotiable, let me know. And like I said, I've got so many different strategies to pick up properties, subject twos, you name it, wholesalers, you know, MLS tax liens, yep. light liens. There's so many ways you can make great money in this business. I'm going to leave that busy work maybe for someone else yeah. that wants to spend four or $5,000 a month on marketing. I'm getting it back into the marketing, but I'm not going to be going full-fledged because I'm very active, very much in the business. I do student housing also in the West Haven area. So yep. I've got 38 great tenants as well. I got one bad tenant actually, but there's always got to be one. They're going to enjoy getting some mail very soon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to be strict, but you got to be fair. Right. And if you can't follow the rules and it's not a win for both of us at the same time. It's a simple value exchange, right? You provide a clean and safe place to live and they pay their bills. Correct. That's the relationship. The good thing is they do pay their bills, but they're not very responsible yeah. on other ends. And they're just. Yep. Well, Mark Goo, thank you very much. As always, a pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much. All right. Good hey, to see you. Have a great day. This has been the Real Estate Underground Podcast, a CTRIA presentation. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. If there's a specific topic you want us to cover, post it in the comments. For more information on the Real Estate Underground Podcast or CTRIA, go to realestateundergroundpodcast.com or ctria.com. Until next time, happy investing.